Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. We're continuing in a series that we did kind of equipping people to answer questions, a series called I Have a Friend Who Says... Um, and I've shared this before that as a pastor, I get like a whole lot of questions from people about the Bible, about faith, about God, uh, all that kind of stuff. And I love answering questions um, and not just because I get paid to talk, because if you're here last week, then you know I don't get paid that much to talk. But I just love answering questions. But two of the most popular questions that I get, um, uh, we're going to talk about in this series uh, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff because the whole idea behind the New Testament letters, if you've read the New Testament letters, is, is most of them are written, and I've said this last week, most of them are written to answer questions. People saying, how do I do this? How do I live this out? What do I do in this situation? So when you read through the New Testament, you'll see uh, here's a topic that someone's talking about, and then they'll change and say, and now about this topic, and now about this topic, because they're answering questions. That's like what they're trying to do, and that's, that's what we want to equip you to be able to do, and that's what the Bible tells us to do. Um, in the book of 1 Peter, and I've shared this before, and you're going to see me share this in multiple translations so that we have 100% understanding of what this verse says. Uh, Peter writes, and he says, but treat the Messiah, this is the complete Jewish Bible version, treat the Messiah as holy, as Lord in your hearts, while remaining always ready to give a reasoned answer. Uh, one version says, uh, a, a, uh, defend your reason. Another version says to give a logical answer, because the idea is that we're supposed to, it's supposed to be a logical, reasonable explanation for anyone who asks to explain the hope that you have in you. And our hope should be in Jesus Christ. Right? And he says, yet do so with humility and fear. And we looked at other translations that said with respect and understanding. And the complete Jewish Bible version uses that word fear, meaning not fear of the conversation we're having or fear of the person we're talking to, but a reverential fear of God. So even when we're talking about and answering questions, we're still supposed to have like a reverential fear for, hey, I'm going to explain this topic to you but I'm going to do it in a way that honors God, not honors what you want to think. Because our hope is in Christ and not in the people we're talking to, right? So two of the questions we're going to, and I was going to jump and put both of these in this morning, but it would have went like really long, even though it made sense to discuss both of them together. Uh, the first question uh, is, why does God allow suffering? Right? And, and it's a logical question, and we all know people who are dealing with stuff, struggles, trials, financial struggles, all that kind of stuff. Valid question. Why does God allow suffering? But then the other question also makes sense, and uh, this is why I was going to try to address them both this morning, is how can I believe in a God who is a moral monster? And I've heard people say that, that like, look at all the horrible, tragic things that your God did in the Bible, why would I believe in a God like that? And a few weeks ago, I was doing a, a, a TikTok Q&A. Uh, you don't have to know what TikTok is, but it's just a live video stream where I was answering questions, and there was a woman who said, I just can't believe in God anymore, and I asked her why, 
And she said, because I prayed and prayed and prayed, but he allowed my son to die. How can I believe in a God like that? And, and my response was, hey, I understand you may be mad at God, but the same God who loved you and sent his son to die for you that existed before your son died, he still exists after your son died. But this, this gets back to the, it's not that God's a moral monster and did something wrong. It's that we experience suffering and then it changes our outlook on God when the same God who was there before we went through the suffering is there walking us through the suffering and experiencing it with us. So um, this actually valid question. Why is there so much suffering in the world? Now, here's, here's the thing that, that a lot of people don't like. Uh, the fact that humanity experiences some suffering, right? Not all of it. Some of the suffering is because humanity violates God's moral law. We are the source of a lot of our own suffering. You know, if you think about it, and this is why I was going to do both of these together. If you think about God's morality, right? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not lie. Don't take your neighbor's stuff. That's not actually what it says, but that kind of thing. But when we do that, that's when we experience suffering. A lot of our human suffering is at the hands of other humans who do harsh things to us. Right? So some of the suffering, we don't get to blame on God. But also, here's the reality, though. This is a valid question because some of the suffering is beyond our ability to control. Because right now, we can hear the thunder and, and, and the storms rolling through right now. There's a lot of people that are going to experience flooding, property damage. Um, I was just, uh, I think it was on the Weather Channel, they were talking about tornadoes that, that flowed through uh, Kansas or Kentucky. Am I thinking of Wizard of Oz? No, Kansas, Kentucky. One of those two, and did lots of damage, right? That's not our fault. We, we don't control the tornadoes. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was already hearing about the, the, uh, uh, the fires, that wildfires that start and ravaging through certain areas, right? Uh, we can't stop those. We can't just like boom and, and, and end a whole forest fire. And when you think about like it hasn't happened recently, but it will happen again, the tsunamis that come in and destroy whole villages, we, we don't have any control over that. Those are God-level things. So it's a valid question for someone to ask, hey, if God exists, why is there so much suffering in the world? Because we would expect that an all-powerful God who loves us unconditionally, like the Bible says and like we preach and like lots of people preach every morning, if he's all-powerful, why can't he stop the suffering? And if he's all-loving, why allow the people that he loves to go through that level of suffering? So that's a valid question. And again, uh, like we said, a lot of that, some suffering, we don't get to blame on God. The stuff we do to ourselves, we don't get to blame on God. And we'll address that in a couple of weeks. I was going to talk about it next week, but next week is Mother's Day, so I didn't feel like talking about you know, God being a moral monster on Mother's Day because it doesn't give us the warm, fuzzy feeling we want on Mother's Day. So in two weeks, we'll address that. But we're going to talk about this this morning, and here's the reality, 100%, right? Uh, here's what we do here. We, we teach the Word of God. We don't sugarcoat it. And we reveal the truth that God reveals to us, right? 
Here's the thing. Sometimes we may not like that truth, but it's still true. So I can tell you, God answers this question. The problem is most of us, myself included, don't really like his answer. But we're going to look at it this morning. So um, how many people are familiar with the book of Job? Okay, we're going to walk through the book of Job. If you have a Bible, uh, pull it out. Now, it says, you know, going from chapter 1 through 42, we're not going to go through all 42 chapters, uh, but we're going to kind of jump through a lot of those. Uh, But I want you to read and see a bunch of this with me, um, the type of suffering that Job went through. Because this type of suffering is next level suffering. Now, if you're looking for Job, it's, uh, if you're using the Bibles we have, page 359, uh, it's right after the book of Esther, right before Psalms and Proverbs. Um, and if you need to, uh, there's a little wooden thing over by the coffee bar. Just tap your phone on it and it'll ac- give you access to the Wi Fi. But in Job chapter 1, this is what it says Job chapter 1, verse 1 In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God, and he shunned evil. Now, the blameless and upright part isn't from Job's perspective. That's not about how Job saw himself. It's how God saw him, right? And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk a little bit, and it probably would have made more sense, to talk about morality first, because Job adhered to God's morals and standards. Right? Where it says he shunned evil, uh, the word shunned means he departed from and ran away. And the word evil, we tend to think it just means wickedness. But the word that's used there, same word that's used in Genesis that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, is not just wicked people, but people who desire to harm others. So it's literally uh, not just evil because of your thoughts, but because of your actions against other people that were evil. But what it says about Job is that he shunned evil or kind of shied away from harming other people and that he was blameless and upright and that if you summarize it in a way, it's kind of like, and this is like a high-level view of God saying that, yeah, when I look at Job, I see someone who loves God and he doesn't mistreat or hurt other people. He loves other people because that's, that's what God the kind of people God shows favor on, right? So Job had seven sons, three daughters, owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. And when it says of the East, it, 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 most theologians believe it means East of Israel. Now, Job had a large family, But all of his sons and his daughters died tragically, and God allowed it. Job had a lot of stuff. He had uh, all this stuff. He wasn't like Jeff Bezos, the guy who owns Amazon, rich, and he wasn't like, uh, you know, um, Elon Musk, the guy who just now owns Twitter, rich. He was more like, think of all of our congressional leaders who take six-figure jobs but then end up making millions. He's like millionaire-type rich. But he lost all of his stuff, all of his money, and God allowed it. He had servants who worked for him who were probably people whom he knew. He had over for company barbecues, probably over to his house, who knew him, who knew his family, and he lost many of them, and God allowed it. 
Then God allowed the enemy, Satan, to strike him from head to toe with like devastating boils. The Bible describes that he was sitting like on a pile of rubble, probably the homes of his children, just mourning the loss, scraping himself with pottery and, and probably pus running all over his body from the boils. But God allowed all that. So jump over to Job chapter 2, verse 11. This is what it says. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and they met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and to comfort him, uh, which is what we're supposed to do, Right? That's what authentic community is. When you hear of somebody that's in trouble or that's in need, you go check up on them to see how they're doing, right? But it says, verse 12, when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. And again, that's because of one, he was covered from head to toe with boils, but also because he was probably in such emotional distress overwhelmed with the amazing amount of loss that he experienced. But it says, they began to weep aloud. They tore their robes, sprinkled dust on their heads, then sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, which is where uh, that, that Jewish concept of it's called sitting Shiva. It's where you just go and you just sit with someone and mourn with them. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days, seven nights. No one said a word to him. And here's why. Because they saw how great his suffering was. This is next level suffering. If any one of us had experienced like, and I've shared, I, when I lost my job, I was an emotional wreck. Went from making six figures down to just making $300 every other week. Emotional wreck, distraught, right? Because that's, that's hard. But then add in someone who lost a loved one. Like, think of losing a parent. Think of losing a child. Many people still struggle with Mother's Day or Father's Day because they lost a mom or a dad who meant so much to them, so they find it difficult to celebrate those holidays. It's emotionally traumatizing to them. But he lost all of his children. And then add on top of that, it's difficult enough when you're dealing with sickness or disease, but now you're dealing with sickness, disease, after losing everything you own and all of the children that you love. Most of us would have to be committed after trying to deal with such emotional and physical trauma and loss. But God allowed all of that to come into Job's life. And it's a valid question. It's a valid question to ask, why did God allow this? And for the next 36 chapters of the book of Job, that's what he and his friends do. They just sit for 36 chapters and try to go back and forth on why did God allow this? Why did God? Job is like, hey, if I could just speak to God and plead my case, then God would know I don't deserve this. And then there are friends who are like, well, maybe you did something. Maybe you're not as just and upright as you believe. And they each come with their own perspective on, here's why God allowed this level of suffering in your life. And none of their perspectives are God's perspective. Their perspective is based on, here's what I was, how I was brought up, and here's what I was told about God, which is what happens to us. When we go through something, people show up in your life, and they give their 
version of why you're going through what you're going through. Can I, a side note, if you are show up for someone and, and they're going through something, please don't tell them, oh, you must have sinned. That, that, that doesn't help in any way, shape, or form. And even though you mean well, please don't tell them, just have faith. All right, because I, when, I, when I lost my job and I'm trying to figure out how to feed my family, one of my closest friends was like, oh, Floyd, you just got to have faith because soon enough, God will have you with another job and all your bills paid. And he was right, but I just wanted to punch him in the face because I wasn't in that situation. I was in a situation where I had no idea how I was going to pay my bills or feed my family. And no one wants to hear that when they're hurting. There's a time to say, hey, God will definitely provide for you and, and just have faith. But when they're sitting there in the midst of their pain and their anguish, not the time. And you may be absolutely right, and God definitely will provide, and they do need to have faith. But that's definitely not the time. Right? So for, for 36 chapters, 36 chapters, they go back and forth. Why is God allowing this to happen in your life? Why did God allow all this financial ruin? And they suggest maybe he had done something criminally wrong, and so God was paying him back. Why did God allow all this personal ruin? They suggest maybe he had hurt other people, and God was paying him back. If this were a TV show, like, it wouldn't go past three episodes, because imagine the first couple episodes are great, because there's all this interaction. There's God, there's Satan, there's, you know, uh, these storms that come up and destroy buildings, and, and there's loss of life, and it's like, wow, what's going to happen next? But then episode three, four, five, six, seven, all the way up to 36, is just them sitting around saying, why did God allow this to happen? Why did God allow this to happen in this individual's life? And, and, and a lot of us do the exact same thing, and God shows up, though. And this is awesome. God shows up because we don't get this like where we, God, why did you allow this to happen? And then God shows up and gives us an answer. But God shows up, gives them an answer, and it's not one that they like. All right, so I'm going to put the rest of the verses on screen because we're going to jump through a lot of verses. Uh, uh, so after 36 chapters, 38 chapter. The Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, and some versions say that this violent storm appears. And God speaks, and he said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Which is just a God way of saying, like, who are you that obscures or questions or doubts or judges or tries to change my plans? Some versions say my counsel most versions say, uh, instead of my plans, my purpose. Because that's what God shows up and says. He says, hey, I have a purpose and a plan for your life. Who are you to question or doubt or change the purpose or plan that I have for your life? In other words, God is saying, do you think that just because you're going through something painful, that it changes what I have in store. And even one of the psalmists in Psalm uh, 33 says this. He says, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. Right? So nations rise, nations fall. Nations come up and say, I'm going to do this. And God says, nope, not on my watch. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples because people say, I want this to happen. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And God says, that's not in line with my purpose. But the psalmist said, but the plans of the Lord stand Firm forever. 
For how long? Just as long as you're suffering? No, forever. For how long? Just, just, just until I get through what I'm going through? No, forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations, because what God is communicating is that it doesn't matter what you're going through. It's not going to change the purpose or plan that I have for your life. See, we think when I'm going through something hurting, like I lost my job, that's going to change my plans or stop my plans or my life is over. Uh, I think it was 1929. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The stock market crash. People jumped out of windows because they lost their entire life savings and the life savings of other people. And they thought, my life is over. But it wasn't. Right? So uh, God shows up. And he says to Job, he says, who are you that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Then he says this, and I love this. He says, brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Because Job said, if I could just appear before God and state my case, then God would see things my way. So God says, hey, I'm going to question you like a man and answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Now, this is a question that most of us are like, this doesn't make sense. And I even hear a lot of atheists who use this to say, see, you Christians, you think the, you know, the earth is flat because he talks about the foundation. One, the earth is not flat. Whole other Sunday we can talk about that. Two, the foundations he's talking about and he goes through and he asks them are not just the, the, like a flat foundation, but the foundational principles that had to be put in place in order for the earth to sustain life. Right? Scientists say that there's over 101 or 121, I forget which number, anthropic principles, anthropology is just the study of human life, that have to be maintained in order for life on earth to exist. So the distance that the earth is from the sun, crucial. If we were just like 0.001 of a mile closer, life couldn't exist. The speed at which the earth rotates if it were slower or faster, life couldn't exist. The angle at which the earth is tilted, if it were off by 0.000 and there's a bunch of zero ones degrees, life couldn't exist. So God basically says, hey, where were you when I did all this? Because if you're going to question me, you must know more than me. And he goes through a bunch of series of questions. Basically, God shows up and says, hey, I'm God and you're not. Right? When you create an entire universe and a planet and you sustain life for all people, then you can question me on the purposes and plans that I have for your life. But until then, I'm God and you're not. And again, I said, no one's going to like this answer. No one's going to appreciate it because it's like when your parent shows up and you ask, you question your parent and they say, I don't have to tell you. And they don't. And we probably wouldn't understand if they did. But this is, this is the answer God gives. Here's the beauty of it, though. After going through and saying over and over, I'm God and you're not. Where were you when I did this, when I created this, when I did this, when I created this animal, the clouds, the rain, this, that, and the other, all the atmosphere. After all that, Job's response is golden. Job responds and says, he replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things and no purpose or plan of yours can be thwarted. Job comes to the realization he's still covered in boils. 
he's still flat broke, still can't afford to, to, to like, uh, uh, buy a meal for his friends as they sit there, but says, hey, you know what? I know that you're God, and I know that I am not. He, 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 he says, hey, I, I understand now human suffering doesn't change God's sovereign plans. Financial suffering doesn't change God's sovereign plans for people. Um, physical suffering, emotional suffering, loss of loved ones, painful as it is, it does not change God's sovereign plans. So Job says, hey, you know what? I get it now. You are God, and I'm not, and no purpose of yours can be changed. Then he goes on and he says this. He says, you asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? He says, surely I spoke of things I, I didn't understand. I did not have a clue on what it takes to be you. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. This is, this is um, anyone play chess? Any people play chess? A couple of people. All right. So for those of you that don't, have you watched people play chess? You're familiar with the game? All right, so there's like a chess board and you're playing. So if you've ever played with someone really good, which I used to be, until I trained Brandon how to play and he started kicking my butt. But if you're playing with someone really good, it's like you make a move, then they make a move. Then you make a move, then they make a move. Then you make a move and they're like checkmate in five. Which means, hey, in the next five moves, no matter what you do, the game is over. Because they've already looked and figured out every possible move that could be made, how they're going to counter it no matter what you do, even though you haven't made it yet. And it doesn't violate your free will. That's not what, because a lot of people say, well, then God's violating my free will. It doesn't violate your free will. He just knows any possible move that's going to be made, it's not going to change the plan that they have to beat you. Now, think about this. Have you ever seen like in the park or on TV where someone's playing one person and another person and another person, so there's multiple games going. So they're still able to look, not with this game with this person, this game with this person, this game with this person, and this game, but they're able to look at them all and still say, it's not going to change the outcome. Whether it's here, there, there, or there, they're still going to win. Now, take it to the next level. Any, any Star Trek fans? Anyone watch Star Trek? Uh, anyone ever see that three-level Star Trek chess game that they have? All right, please. Such, I mean, it's awesome. I was going to buy one, but it's like 150 bucks, and you all know my wife. That's not going to happen. But um, it's like chess, but it's on three levels, right? So you're playing on three levels. Whatever you do on one level can still impact what happens on the other levels. So now imagine three levels that someone is playing with multiple people, and now, instead of just whatever happens on one level impacts another, imagine whatever happens on one level impacts another person and another person and any level, and multiply that out towards every person that has ever lived or ever will live. And God still says, no matter what move they make, it's still not going to change the plans that I have in store because we can be impacted by the, uh, if you've had parents that loved you, Right? You turn around and you love your children the same way, but if you had parents that were abusive or neglectful, that can impact how you treat your children. So all of that goes into play, levels upon levels, each one interfering with billions of people, and God still says, 
it doesn't change the plans that I have for your life. Because he's God. And Job says, I had no idea what I was talking about because I cannot even begin to comprehend things like that. And then Job says this, you said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. This is what Job says, and I love this. He says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job didn't see God. He heard God speaking out of a storm. He didn't physically see God, but he was able to come to the realization and see God in a whole different way because he was able to understand that human suffering doesn't change God's plans. Doesn't matter what we go through. It doesn't change whatever purpose or plan that God has for your life. We think that it does, but it doesn't. But we live in a world where, again, like we said, some of our suffering we do to one another. The crime, the abuse, the hate, the racism, the injustice. God doesn't do that. But then there's some of the suffering that's out of our ability to control. We can't control flooding coming through. We can't control you know, earthquakes that happen in, in, in areas. We can't control the fact that there's no food growing in some areas, and so there are people that are starving. Not a whole lot we can do about that. There is, but we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But there are things that are out of our ability to control. So people ask, well, where was God when, 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 when my family, my child, you know, lost their life because of cancer? Where was, where was God when, you know, our whole village was wiped out because of, you know, the storms or the tsunami or the, or the tornado that ripped through a school and so all these children lost their life or the mudslide that pushes a school bus full of kids over a cliff and we, we, we grieve and we hurt and then we blame God and we say, where was God during that level of suffering? And God says, hey, I was in the same place I was when my son suffered for humanity on the throne, ensuring that there was a purpose and a plan for your life. The Apostle Paul uh, also went through his own level of suffering. Uh, he was imprisoned for sharing the gospel. So if anyone can know what like unjust suffering is, it would be him. But when he appeared uh, before one of the rulers, he said, to this day, I have had the help which comes from God as my ally. So I stand here testifying to small and great alike, asserting nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses declared would come to pass. If there was ever an opportunity to say, hey, I suffered unjustly, it would be Paul. But instead, he says, hey, I'm going to use that, and I'm going to talk about someone else who suffered. He says, I want to declare what the prophets and Moses declared would come to pass, that the Christ, the anointed one, must suffer, and that he, by being the first to rise from the dead, would declare and show light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. See, God doesn't ignore our suffering. He doesn't cause our suffering, but he uses it to fulfill his purposes and his plans for our life. God doesn't, doesn't want, you know, a, a tornado to, to, or flooding to come through and, and, and to do all this property damage, but he uses those opportunities 
to fulfill his purposes and his plans for our life. We live in a fallen world, a world full of sin. And so you have times where sinful people are going to do sinful things to other people. And God uses those to fulfill the purposes and plans for our life. We live in a decaying world. This world isn't getting better, it's decaying. That's why we have more and more uh, uh, earthquakes, more and more natural disasters. But God uses those opportunities to fulfill his purposes and his plans for our life. Uh, there's a woman that I follow um, on TikTok. Um, I forget her name. I think it's Kristen. I think her name is Kristen. Um, and she was a victim of human trafficking. If you don't know what that is, go Google it, but be careful when you Google stuff. Of human trafficking for quite a while. Now, she not only uses it as an opportunity to prevent other people from falling prey to human trafficking. She uses it to share the gospel about the God who preserved her and kept her and brought her out of human trafficking. There's a, a couple other people I follow. Some of them were full-blown um, addicts, uh, meth, you name it, whatever kind of drug, near suicidal, did time in prison. But now... They're using their suffering to tell people about the God who sustained them and brought them out of their suffering to share the gospel with people, right? And there are lots of people who go through lots of suffering, and they don't blame God. None of them want to go through that, but they acknowledge that God uses it for his glory. And here's one um, a little closer uh, I was talking to someone last year, and this is what they said. Without experiencing this level of sickness, I would not have seen as many people engaging in prayer on my behalf over the last few years. And they named congregation after congregation that had joined together praying for them. And I didn't get his permission, but that was actually Glenn who said that to me last year. And at the time he said it, he wasn't anywhere near as and good of a place as he is now health-wise. See, God doesn't, he doesn't cause our suffering, and he doesn't ignore our suffering. He just acknowledges suffering is a part of the human experience. So rather than ignore it, he uses it to fulfill his purposes and his plans for his people. I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and we're going to close out praying again so those people who you thought of earlier, people who may be experiencing maybe financial suffering, people who may be experiencing uh, just uh, sickness in their own right, people who may be experiencing the harshness of losing a son, a mother, a child, a daughter, a brother, a sister, a loved one in their life, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and think of those people right now. And God, we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you help us to communicate to those people that you do not ignore their suffering, nor are you the cause of their suffering. But if they are willing, that you are able to use their suffering to fulfill your purposes and your plans for your people. 
We know that there are some who are hurting emotionally, and we pray that you would give them the comfort that they need. We know that there are some that are dealing with physical ailments that are just bringing nothing but pain on their body. We pray that you would bring them healing and relief. And we know there's some that are dealing with just emotional distress over the loss of loved ones and family members. And we pray that through your spirit, you would bring them the peace that transcends all understanding. But we pray in every single case that you would use us to help them acknowledge that you didn't cause their suffering, that you're not ignoring their suffering, but that you are able to bring them through that suffering by the power of your Holy Spirit. And God, we lift these people up to you. Pray that we can, just as Job's friends did to him, that we can be there for them. We can show up for them. We can be a resource, an aid, a help, an encouragement to them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.